Welcome to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank that brings you market views and insights on the go. Hello and welcome to our second instalment of our mini-series around the H2 Outlook, which is titled Walking a Tightrope. On Friday, I spoke to Audrey, who gave a quick overview of our latest thinking. Today, I want to dive a little bit more into the economic outlook. And to do this, I have asked Rajat Bhattacharya to take us through some of the key economic and policy issues that investors need to consider when making their investment decisions. We will cover the risk of a recession in the US and Europe, the outlook for interest rates and where China is in the economic cycle. And finally, we'll talk a little bit about what the constraints may be on Chinese policymakers. Um, Before we start, I just wanted to flag that we're having a webinar on Monday, the 4th of July, which we are opening to everybody. So this event includes a fireside chat with Professor Raghuram Rajam, the former IMF chief economist and former RBI governor, Reserve Bank of India governor, where we will discuss the key financial imbalances we should be worried about, the outlook for cryptocurrencies and the challenges facing the China and India economies. Naturally, you'll also hear from Standard Chartered CIO office on how you might position your portfolios given the opportunities and risks facing investors going into the second half, half of the year, and you'll be able to ask your questions as well. If you're interested in registering for the event, you can do so at www.sc.com slash GMO, which stands for Global Market Outlook, or just click the link in the description. So enough of the advert, let's get to Rajat. So let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, Rajat. I've never really seen a central bank be as open um, to the risk of uh, them causing a recession. So we've had Fed Chairperson uh, Powell saying that's not not an Uh, an impossible outcome. Uh, Do you believe that a recession is inevitable in the next 12 months or so? Hi, Steve. Uh, That's right. Uh, The Fed Chair Powell, in his testimony to Congress last week, was clear that that the increasingly hawkish turn in Fed policy makes it harder to achieve a soft landing for the economy. Most of our U.S. recession indicators have deteriorated over the past month with some flashing warning signals. However, to your question, a recession at least a deep and long-lasting one is not inevitable. In fact, as you know, our investment committee sees 40 to 50% probability of a recession in the next six to 12 months. We may have a technical recession though, uh, which is defined as two quarters of GDP contraction in sequence uh, in the coming quarters. But for now, we like the market are not looking at a deep or long-lasting recession. Okay, so so what are the indicators you're watching to see, see whether that risk is increasing or decreasing? So the key indi- indicator, Steve, uh, to watch is uh, uh, the U.S. job market and consumption, which has been driving the recovery in the econ- economy since the pandemic. The U.S. Uh, job market remains robust with uh, job openings at record highs and unemployment rate at 3.6%, which is well below the, the Fed's 4% long-term target. The strong job market, along with savings built up during the pandemic, has been fueling U.S. consumption. This is enabling the economy to offset the impact of the tightening fiscal policy. The Fed now appears to be aiming to subdue jobs growth in a bid to suppress wages and overall consumption. Thus, the key metrics to watch in the coming months, in my mind, will be the number of people filing for unemployment relief, the so-called initial jobless claims, and the overall jobless rate. We expect the Fed to pause policy tightening once the jobless rate rises significantly above above its long-term target of 4%. On the business front, we will be watching whether companies 
are cutting new orders as slowing consumption leaves producers with, with excessive inventory. I guess that, you know, as well as the economic indicators, there are some market indicators that we should also be watching. They're showing some signs of concern at the moment. What's your thoughts there? That's correct. Uh, So the U.S. yield curve briefly inverted in June for the second time in two months, with the two-year yield rising above the 10-year yield, which is typically an indication that investors are worried that Fed policy is about to tighten enough to hurt growth in the coming years. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 index fell into a bear market, as we know, and corporate credit spreads have been widening, but they still remain below the level that typically signals a recession. These market moves have tightened financial conditions significantly this year. This leads us to believe that there is a good chance of the Fed turning less aggressive once it has raised its policy rate to restrictive territory. And by that, we mean by uh, you know just above its neutral rate, so-called neutral rate of 2.5% in the second half of this year. This is especially so if these indicators that we talked about deteriorate in the in the coming months. Okay, so I I guess one of the million dollar questions out there at the moment is how high are U.S. interest rates likely to go? So Fed Chair Powell made it clear that the central bank wants to see a consistent decline in month on month inflation for a few months before it can slow the pace of rate hikes. Uh, we think the 10-year government bond yield is a good indicator of how high the Fed is likely to take policy rates. That yield broke above its uh, key technical resistance of around 3.26% recently after the May, uh, the shockingly high in- inflation uh, report in May. And, uh, and then it has fallen back below that 3.26% mark. These levels are below the Fed's latest projection for its terminal policy rate of 3.8% for end 2023, which which suggests that the bond market has almost priced in a significant amount of Fed tightening. Okay, let's move on to Europe. Obviously, this has been the epicenter of the Russia and Ukraine conflict. Um, We're also seeing a rise in bond spreads of of the peripheral countries such as Spain and Italy uh, in terms of their debt financing costs are higher than Germany by a significant margin again. And that indicates potential concerns about debt sustainability or the willingness of the European Central Bank to backstop their bond markets. What do you make of all this in Europe? So uh, Europe is clearly in the front line of the Ukraine war and faces the biggest risk of stagflation. By stagflation, we really mean rising inflation, stagnating output, and rising unemployment. The the good part is that good news is the euro area job market has been resilient so far, despite a surge in headline inflation driven by soaring energy prices. However, the EU's ban on oil imports from Russia and Russia's decision to haul gas sales to several EU countries could keep European energy costs and headline inflation higher for longer. As the ECB responds to tightening monetary policy, uh, they are going to likely impact the weaker economies in Southern Europe the most. These concerns are reflected in the widening bond deal spreads of peripheral countries. The good news again is that ECB recognizes these risks and is preparing a plan to prevent a blowout in peripheral spreads. While we are yet to see the details of such a plan, the ECB has been here before, as we know, uh, in the uh, early to, uh, after the financial crisis, they had devised various mechanisms such as outright bond purchases to backstop bond markets in the periphery. Okay, so 
it seems a little bit strange that given these concerns that the the ECB is looking like they're going to hike rates still. Do you think they'll proceed with that? Yes, building uh, inflationary pressures are such that we expect the ECB to respond by raising rates to positive territory in the second half of the year. And that is going to slow growth. The ECB is worried that the energy price driven inflation is going to filter across the broader economy. Nevertheless, they also have to take into account the considerable downside risks to growth. As a result, our end 2022 estimate for the policy rate, which is around 0.5% to 0.75%, is below the market's 0.9% estimate, for instance, uh, because we expect the policymakers to pause as growth suffers in the coming months. Okay, let's let's move on to China. So you've been making the point for some time time now that China's at a different stage of the cycle than to the US and Europe. So how's that playing out? That's correct. So we believe uh, China's on the opposite end of the economic cycle as growth there has likely bottomed and it's showing signs of recovery. In contrast with the West, China's authorities face subdued consumer inflation at home. This is helping uh, the, the authorities. As a result, they are easing fiscal and credit policies to revive infrastructure spending and relaxing regulations, including for the depressed property sector. And that is going to likely to help jumpstart growth. Waning uh, COVID infections in major cities have also allowed authorities to gradually lift lockdowns. With the external environment deteriorating, the domestic jobless rate rising, and the crucial party congress months away, we expect more measures in the coming months to lift growth. Historically, the revival of credit growth is followed by an economic recovery over the next 6 to 12 months. The pace of that recovery will, however, depend on whether we see uh, another COVID wave, for instance, leading to more lockdowns. I guess to play devil's advocate a bit, one of the concerns uh, that people have is whether the Chinese authorities are constrained when it comes to policy easing um, due to the desire to have a stable currency. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? Yes, indeed. Uh, The stability of the renminbi, along with the uh, stability of the economy, is paramount, Steve, to the way Chinese authorities want to position the economy in the emerging global uh, landscape. A stable currency would significantly help China's efforts to make the renminbi an international reserve currency. At the same time, authorities are mindful of competitive pressures on Chinese exporters if the renminbi becomes too strong relative to its trade partners, especially with the Japanese yen weakening significantly this year. Given these balancing pressures, authorities are likely to keep the currency broadly stable against its trade partners with a moderate downside risk in the near term. To your point about policy preference, Beijing is then more likely to use fiscal and credit policy easing, including targeted measures to revive the infrastructure spending and consumption, more than monetary policy easing to revive the economy in the coming months. Okay, thanks, Rajat. That's uh, really interesting. And that's all we have time for today. Um, And thank you, listener, for joining us. Um, Tomorrow, we'll be talking to Abhilash Narayan to talk about the opportunities we're seeing in the bond space. Um, So we've seen bond yields surge in the first half of this year, building on the gains we saw in 2021 as well. So we believe bonds are a really interesting space for the first time in over two years. And I think this promises to be a very interesting conversation. Just as a, a reminder, if you'd like to sign up to our H2 Global Uh, Market Outlook webinar, please click the link in the description. In the meantime, I am wishing you a fantastic week ahead. Thank you for listening to Standard Chartered Money Insights, a podcast series by Standard Chartered Bank. For more
more details on the latest market insights, subscribe to Standard Chartered Money Insights.